Jesus humors me in that last part because I'm not really interested in hair color as much as I am having hair, period. <laughs> the rest can come later. I've recognized this week that sometimes the lectionary gives us candy on which to chew and other times, like today, it gives us briars. These teachings are hard. And I've wondered this week, I've wondered a lot about this text and Mr. Jesus this week. I've wondered why he picked murder and anger and adultery and lust and divorce and loyalties. Why in the middle of this sermon series did he pick those? You know, we're in this sermon series where Jesus began the Sermon on the Mount and it will end with the Mount of Transfiguration next Sunday. Anytime in Scripture where you read that uh, someone happens to find them way, their way up a mountain, something revelatory will happen. God will show up. Like at Mount Sinai in Exodus. Like here with the Sermon on the Mount. Like Calvary. Like the Mount of Transfiguration next week. So when you see or read about mountains in Scripture, something amazing is going to happen or be said or something given to, uh, to people from God to give to other people. That's what's happening here. We've asked ourselves this month, what about what happens between the mountains where real life happens? And so maybe that's why Jesus picks up these difficult topics. He was doing so well with the Beatitudes, right? Blessed are you if you're mourning or if you're poor in spirit or if you hunger and thirst. Oh, that's so sweet. We're close to God's heart. That's what I think it means to be blessed. Those who are closest to God's heart are blessed in that way. And he was even doing quite well last week with the whole salt and, and light thing. I, I get it. Illumine the pathways. Be a little salty in this world. Stinging, but well-seasoned. But can you imagine, I do, that when Jesus prepared to talk about these topics on the mountainside, I'm guessing he took a few steps back to get out of arm's reach and maybe stone's throw from the very people to whom he was preaching. But you know, Jesus never really recused himself from taking on difficult topics. We see that time and again in the Gospels. We know that, though. And the reason we know that is through his baptism. The waters of his own baptism in the Jordan River. He went down into those muddy, murky, dirty waters uh, of baptism as if to say, how can I redeem dirty, murky lives if I don't get down there and get dirty with you? Let's be honest, we really like the Beatitudes in the Sermon on the Mount. But when we read them, it's just so easy to get to these texts today and just whoop, skip right over, keep flipping that page. And maybe it's because we all cringe with the thought of a preacher talking about divorce or adultery or being judgmental, disloyalties. And to be super honest, I've heard some damaging sermons on all of these topics that have done far more harm than they have brought good news. So when we say this is the Word of God for the people of God, thanks be to God, what do we mean? 
I don't think Jesus Christ would preach about matters if the church in Matthew's gospel wasn't wrestling with them. I don't think the gospels remain alive and living in our lives for us to study and to explore and even to preach about because we're all dealing with something. Maybe Matthew's church is more like us than we think. But why the rapid fire? Why bundle them all together? Um, I have a childhood memory of growing up with about eight or nine boys on our street. And so mom and dad, they're not here. They're watching on TV. This is a confessional moment. Here we go. We used to have bottle rocket wars. Anybody had bottle rocket wars when you were growing up? Who needed social media? You light a bottle rocket, you throw it at your friends, and they're in the fort on the other side of the street or the other side of the creek. That's what we did. Or you could take the whistlers and just throw it out there because you never knew which way those were going to go. Or you could take the black cats. You, you remember the black cats? And they came as a big bundled package. And so you could take one little black cat and light the single fuse, and you kind of flick it over there at somebody, and it would go... And it popped, and maybe it stung a little bit or burned a hole in their shirt. Or you could light the whole pack. And you could hurl it downrange at your friends. And it would go off like this set of explosions. And it was awesome. <laughs> so why didn't Jesus just pull apart one of those black cats and light it and Flick it at us. Why did he have to? Why did he have to light the whole pack and throw it, throw it down range? Man, some people say Jesus could have selected any number of topics to address, but he intentionally chose these for whatever reason. And these have been used as weapons of mass destruction, like a sledgehammer driving into the ground the shame and the hurt that a person feels having gone through some of these broken relationships. But I think, friends, that's precisely why Jesus jumps into the middle of all of this. Not to shame by any stretch, but because our human tendency is to capitalize on the hurts of others, oftentimes trying to make ourselves feel better. And we just do that through labeling. Because if I can label somebody, I can keep them at a distance and maybe make myself feel a little better. We use scarlet letters with our words and with our silence. But at the core of all of this, every issue that Jesus addresses has something in common. People. People are not issues. And more than just people, People who are hurting and people who have hurt others. Because at the heart of God's law on the mountain of Sinai and the heart of God's law on this Sermon on the Mount, God does not want to see God's children hurting and broken and vulnerable and abused and shamed. And so Jesus just dives right in with the Beatitudes and with these hard teachings. And I think, I think we're not hearing from a judge, we're hearing from a shepherd Jesus was a rabbi, that means teacher, and from the rabbinical tradition, rabbis with their students and with one another, they would take the law and, and pull it apart and wrestle with it 
And then they would put it back together and try to figure it out. And then they'd come back the next day and pull it apart and wrestle with it and put it back together and try to make sense of it. We could learn how to practice that discipline better in the global church. I'm just thinking about verses I, like which I read in Proverbs 14, where it says, there is a way that appears to be right, but in the end it leads to death. Can't you see these rabbis pulling it around and saying, I've got the right way. No, you don't. I've got the right way. No, your way leads to death. This is the right way. That's the right way. And they get into this debate and they wrestle with it and they, they put it all back together at the close of the day and then they go have hummus and flatbread together. Keep in mind, Jesus is wrestling with this text, maybe within earshot of his own rabbi colleagues, certainly among a church who needs help processing hard, hard relationships. But Jesus' sermon is it's not trying to say that Christianity is better than Judaism, just the opposite. He's reinforcing by drawing from those rich traditions of Judaism, the covenantal relationship. And so when he starts saying, you have heard it said, all eyes are fixed on this new guy, this new preacher who's come on the scene. Will he be black and white with the law or will he try to explain it away? I bet people, I bet they wondered if he's Auburn or Alabama <laughs> or if he's red state or blue state. All these people trying to figure out, does Jesus agree with me? Is he on my side? Can't you hear the rumblings? Jesus said, you have heard it said, do not murder. And one side of the house chamber stood up and said, yeah, he's on our side. And then in the very next breath, he says, but I tell you, if you have unchecked anger in your hearts, and they go, ooh, wait a minute. Or he says, I have come not to abolish the law, yay, but to fulfill it. Huh? throughout this whole sermon, throughout Jesus' entire ministry. That's, that's the movement. Yeah, what? All right. What did you just say? Did I hear you correctly? Mm. The Jesus way, it really messes with everyone because there's no ideology or political persuasion or theological perspective that's off limits when Jesus preaches. He doesn't preach down in judgment. He preaches alongside and into the lives he cares so deeply about and wants so desperately to draw near to the heart of God. Because the thing is, you see, any number of issues leave human beings broken and in the need of God's redemption I suspect every one of us in this room today need to be reconciled with God and with neighbor in some way. And not a single person here is exempt from Jesus' teaching, from Jesus meddling with us. He's gone to meddling. Because grace needs to meddle with us from time to time. So it's one thing to say, do not kill or cheat or steal or cross boundaries that pertain to fidelity. It's another thing, it's a harder thing, as Jillian mentioned, 
to see somebody else as God sees them, especially someone who's been broken and fragmented by the very issues Jesus raises. It's another thing to, to be reconciled with someone that has hurt you or to reconcile with someone that you have hurt. But that's the hard, hard work of discipleship. That's the costly grace, not the cheap grace that Bonhoeffer talks about. So this teaching, in my mind, is about matters, matters of the heart. And what lies at God's heart is a desire for us to see people as human beings created in God's image and loved by God unconditionally. So yeah, maybe it's enough to say don't kill another person. We get that. That's the law of humanity. But the heart of the law is trying to tell us something else. Not only should you not kill, double negative, but don't be angry either. Because God wants people to live in unity. So let's think about that anger piece for a brief second. The sixth commandment is one that Jesus picks up. You have heard it said, don't murder. But I tell you, if you are angry, or if you speak poorly about another person, or if you resort to name-calling another person, you've already killed them. You've taken away their very dignity and their life, maybe without them even knowing. So not only should the followers of Jesus Christ be people who value life, we should be people who nurture life as well. Hate for another human being. Hate is the antithesis of love. And the absence of love will always lead to death. So when you boil it down, we get to decide. Anger or love. One leads to death. One leads to life. And it causes us to press the time out button, the pause button, and ask how are, how are we in relationship with other people right now? And by right now, I mean right this very minute. Think about your relationships. Are they based on anger that robs people from the human capacity to love? You've heard the saying, right? Sticks and stones may break your bones, but words will never hurt. Do we believe that? I had a teacher tell me one time, sticks and stones may break your bones, but words will break your what? Break your heart. Yeah. So to use words of anger as a form of abuse, it's to rob someone of their life. The spirit their essence, their dignity, their confidence, their value, their worth. So how do you use your words in relationship with people? On Snapchat, on Facebook, in text messages, do they build up? Do they tear down? I think that's why uh, I love so deeply traditional worship, one of the many reasons. We have what's called an order of worship. And in this order of worship are sacred words, ancient liturgies that we say each and every week. And I don't know about you, but there's so much disorder and chaos out there that at least, at least for one hour a week, I need something that'll help wrap its arms around me and shape me and hold on to me 
and not let go of me despite all of my faults and brokenness, despite the way I do and don't see people, despite the way I treat and don't treat people, I need to step into something that's holy and something that's divine. And I need to proclaim whether I feel worthy to do so or not. I need to proclaim, I believe in God the Father Almighty. And I believe in Jesus Christ. And I believe in the Holy Spirit because every time I do, it's like putting on this robe and stole. I feel the presence of God wrapping around me to say, I got you. I got you. I hope traditional worship is like that for you because words matter. And words create worlds. The way I see it, these hard sayings, they're matters of the heart and and what we get to decide each and every day with all of our decisions is, will we leave enough room for God to fill up our hearts fully? Or do we want to hold back a little bit of self? Anger, desire, lust, anything that would separate us from God and from another person? Or are we ready to be fully devoted, all in, all in, with our hearts because there's not room for both. I don't even know that God is interested in hearing my prayers and my praise if I'm angry with my neighbor because in order to love God, I have to love neighbor and in order to love my neighbor, that's how I love God. Jesus is going to torque down on that a little more and say, oh yeah, you have to love your worst enemy too. The one with whom you unconditionally disagree because that is a revolutionary protest that you are a child of God if you can love somebody with whom you disagree. Mm. There's good news in there somewhere. This teaching, this teaching, friends, of Jesus is not to shame or to call out anyone, but it's, it's to get down and to pick those back up who have been broken and fragmented by life and to woo us all who are morally and spiritually fragile into a life of healing and wholeness. So Jesus is not spotlighting people at all. What he's saying is that all of us stand in the need of God's grace and mercy. And all of us are created to be free and fully alive in Jesus Christ through God's goodness and through the scandal of grace. I set out this year to get healthy in mind and in body and in soul. I'm doing okay on the mind part. I'm doing fairly well on the soul part, but the body part, eh. Way too many snacks, really. Not enough exercise. I'm failing at that. I will be 44 in just a few days, and there are places in my body that hurt that I don't even know were there. My legs and my back, they don't, just, they don't do what my 21-year-old mind tells them they ought to do. I'm seeing some amen head nodding out there. I got it. Most of that is, is for one simple reason. I don't keep my core in shape. Confessional moment. My core is out of shape. And I've been reflecting on that for a couple of weeks, wondering if maybe that's why we hear this body of Christ language in Scripture so often. And maybe one of the probes of Jesus Christ this day is let's get our core in shape. Let's do some core work because it'll strengthen the rest of the body. That core work begins 
with the heart. It means knowing that every single person you encounter this week is dealing with some issue that you and I know nothing about. The pain of loss, lust, prodigal children, estranged parents, financial collapses. Oh, and by the way, if you've ever walked with another human being through these difficult times that Jesus mentions or something that I've just mentioned, you know good and well the last thing they need is for the church to pass judgment and condemn. They're already in hell or have been through it. They just need us to walk alongside them and to listen and to love and to be the incarnate presence of Jesus Christ in their lives. In just a few days, you will receive something from this church in the mail. And throughout the season of Lent, you will be seeing these cards floating around because one of the things that we will be doing is a sermon series for the season of Lent is a sermon series in this sanctuary right here entitled Observe a Label-Free Lent. And the reason why I think that is important is because we label ourselves, we shame ourselves, we tell ourselves entirely too much that we're not enough, we're not worthy, whatever the case might be. Or we do it to somebody else. Or we allow somebody else to do it to us. We put, we put labels, and if we can label somebody, we can keep them at a distance. You know, you're, you're a divorcee, you're an addict, you're a, you, you know, you have financial problems, you, have, you know, mental health, let's keep it over there. Those who are a little differently abled, let's keep them over there. And we just label, 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 label. What I hear throughout the gospel is, and what the power of resurrection says, is that Jesus Christ will overcome all of those labels of division as a way of making all things new. To say that the only identifying marker that a human being needs in this world is to know they're a child of God, redeemed by Christ, and gifted by the Holy Spirit. Mm. What if that becomes our Lenten discipline? So you're going to see the sermon series come through your mailbox and you're going to see some ways that I think we label each other and I'm going to try my best to speak into those. I want your prayers in all of this. We're going to nail our labels to the cross on Ash Wednesday. We're going to place them on the cross throughout the season of Lent as a way of giving them to Jesus. Take away this label or that to help us reconcile with people we've labeled or labeled us. Pray about that with me. Pray about that with me right now. Let's pray. God, we thank You for the kind of Savior who is not intimidated by or scared away by any of our life occurrences, our situations, our human condition. I thank You, God, that You're interested in people and in their hearts and in their frailty and redeeming their brokenness and bringing people together where we are cut off from you and from each other. I thank you, Lord, that at the heart of the gospel is a message of love and grace. Thank you, Lord, for Jesus who makes all things new. Help us, Lord, to feel your blessings in this way, but only so that we would bless others with the same grace and mercy and love that we have received. All honor and glory is yours, almighty God, now and forever. Amen.